Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza power! That's right, when super giant pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Hey, where's my pizza? Pizza time. Welcome back to Pixel Pizza, listeners. You just listened to the track Jupiter by our chiptune artist of the week, Tamas Katai. That was, uh, I think, from a Commodore 64 soundtrack that he wrote, which is pretty cool, not the usual thing. But anyway, we are here with our next guest, our guest of the week, he has a long history in the game industry. He's done work with Activision, 2K, and he is the CEO and co-founder of his own indie studio, Skullfire Games. This is a longtime friend of mine, Bayarlo Borgiget. How you doing, Bayar? Doing great. Glad to be on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad we can make this happen. So... I like to start off my show by asking, when in your life did you know you wanted to work in games? 
<laughs> uh, so ever since I was five, actually. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, me and my cousin, we would play video games a lot, like growing up. So it started at a very young age, I guess. And we were all, both of us were very excited about it. But I think uh, between the two of us, <laughs> I decided to go that way. And he, he decided to go in another direction. What did he end up doing? He's a, he's a lawyer actually. He's, oh. And then he still plays, he still plays video games, but uh, he's a, uh, he more went into the law side of things than the uh, programming or art side of things, so to speak. Sure. So, yeah, how did you sort of come to it from there? Uh, like, uh, so basically from there, I from that age all the way, I guess, till I graduated high school, all I did was try to play as uh, many games as I could. and uh, And back then it was a lot more tough i guess so to speak because uh video games didn't quite come by nearly as easily as it does uh, as it is now uh, you can pretty much find games to play on any platform but back then it was like 80 dollars for a cartridge or something like that so the amount of games that you got we were just we would just uh get them very uh, like sparsely so to speak yeah, no Game Pass back then. No, no. PS Plus. No. I recently none of, none of those things. <laughs> no, definitely not. I recently tried the new like PS Plus expansion that they did, and it's it's actually pretty cool. They have a lot of good games on there that I've been meaning to try. Now, that's their version of the Xbox Game Pass. Yeah, essentially. And they basically combined, uh, I guess. The, the the PlayStation uh, Plus and the their PS Now sort exactly yeah. yeah but yeah anyway so what brought you to your first job after high school or the, this this is actually a uh, pretty funny story so mm-hmm. after I graduated from college. Uh, basically what happened was, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do right away right off the bat. And, uh, which is kind of funny since, you know, growing up, I was like, Oh, I want to work in video games. So I work in video games. I had no idea how to get started. Mm-hmm. So one day I was talking to my uh, roommate and we we're both like, well, we live on the East coast. And back then there was not a lot of like job opportunities for people who wanted to be uh, creative, so to speak. And I didn't really want to move to New York either at the time point. Uh, for some reason, I had this whole thing against New York City because I grew up, you know, in, in like on the East Coast in the 80s and nothing you ever heard was good coming out of New York back then. Right. It was so, place. so I was under the impression it was still like that, even though by that point it was the early 2000s. So I'm just, uh, at that point, I was kind of like, well, all right. So I told my friend uh, who he was stuck at a, a pretty dead end job at the time and he was like, we should go to California. And he's like, uh, my roommate, sorry, my roommate, and we were like, okay, yeah, we should go. So I originally started out talking about it like I I was just kind of like, you know, wanted to go, but I wasn't sure yet. He took it as uh, we're going. So he left. Wow. That day, he drove three days and he made it to California. He calls me three days later and he's like, oh, dude, I'm in California. Where are you? We're supposed to meet up. And I was like, wait, what? And so basically after that, I was just like, okay, I guess I have to, 
uh, move out uh, to California because I did say I would. So he after some, ran it. <laughs> yeah. So after pleading with my parents for some time, you know, why this was a good idea, I I flew out. I took a flight out to uh, California, and uh, that's that's uh, that's that's pretty much how that went. Essentially, there's a there's a whole other part in there about working at different conventions before I got to California. Uh, one of the first jobs I got was working for uh, uh, Viz Media, and we were working with D3 Publishing doing a uh, tour for the Naruto GameCube game, Clash of Ninjas series. Oh, I remember and, uh, those. Yeah. That was really and I got that, I got that gig. Uh, this, this is actually how I got my foot in the game industry. Uh, but basically, I was at E3 in 2006. And I was just walking around uh, talking to random people. And they had this game out there. And I started playing it. And I was beating everybody because in college, you know, all I did was play this game in college and I knew it pretty well. And you play the Japanese version, which at, by that point it was up to like part four. Right. So this was just like part one was coming out. So it was like, I was explaining to them all the mechanics and everything. And the guy, uh, I forget his name, Brian, something, I forget, uh, I forget his last name, but really, really nice guy. He was like, Oh, you seem to know a lot about this game. And I was like, Oh yeah, I played me and my friends play this over at college. And, uh, he was like, how would you like to come be a spokesperson for this game? Uh, I need you to talk to my boss. And then that's how I got my foot in the door. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And then for a while I was flying back and forth between California and uh, New Jersey. And then, yeah, then I would talk to my friend about moving out and then the whole thing happened to where he, yeah. So, and so basically by the time we got out there, uh, that contract had already ended. So we basically found ourselves in a position where we're like, well, we, don't, we have no idea what we want to do. We barely even ha- we didn't even have a place to live at the time point. I think we stayed at a hotel for like the first week, oh, wow. which is, yeah, kind of crazy. Uh, luckily, I had some family out there who were very helpful and they, they basically helped me sort of find my footing, uh, like, a part, uh, like an apartment and stuff like that. And you lent me a car for the first week. Um, but the first month my roommate and I had nothing to do. Like we couldn't find anything and I mean like regular work. So we just, uh, we were just out there trying to figure out what we were going to do. And then one day, another friend of ours, um, she had an interview at 2k games and, uh, and she wanted to stay with us and, uh, asked if we could drive her to the interview. We said, sure. And I didn't realize at the time point, uh, where she wanted to go was in, we lived in, uh, we lived in Torrance. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, area. yeah, that's down south yeah. a bit for me. So we lived in Torrance, but we had to drive all the way to Camar- uh, Camarillo. Oh, that's quite the distance. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. So this is where 2K West was located. So I had no idea. So uh, my roommate and I drove for all the way down there. And while we were sitting in the waiting area, um, uh, we're just sitting there. Uh, she went in for an interview. And uh, after she finished her interview, she basically came um, while we're sorry, while we're sitting there uh, waiting for the interview, the, the lady at the front desk was like, uh, are you guys here for an interview too? My roommate and I were like, no, 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 we're not. We're just, we're here for a friend. She's getting an interview. And she's like, oh, uh, do you guys want to interview also? And we're like, uh, oh yeah, sure. Definitely. So they interviewed us that day as well. Wow. And then when we, yeah. And then when we got back, um, 
you know, a couple hours later, we both him and I get phone calls, uh, you know, of them accepting us uh, into 2K West. And that's pretty much how I started working in 2K. That's great. Really being at the right place at the right time. Yes. <laughs> that was very important back then. For sure. And so I know when you were there and uh, at other places, you did a bunch of QA. Were there yep. any other, were there any stories of crazy bugs or glitches you had to solve? Well, I remember at 2K West, they used to play this prank on uh, people who uh, started working there where they'll be uh, allowing the, the new people to test a game. And then one of the QA managers would uh, secretly turn off the TV with a remote control. <laughs> and everybody always had the same reaction where they're like, oh, I found a, a bug that shuts off your TV before it took them a couple of minutes to realize that that, that wasn't possible. Yeah, games can't do that. <laughs> yeah, games can't do that. But uh, it was, uh, I remember the first, yeah, so the first game that I got to test as a trial to get the QA at 2K was uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and that game was completely broken. It was for the GameCube. And it was at that point I, re- I learned a few things. One, when the GameCube crashes, it makes this really high-pitched whining noise. It's really annoying. Uh, and uh, two, Charlie and Chocolate Factory was a, a terrible, terrible video game. <laughs> um, or at least the version I played was a terrible, terrible version. But um, overall, I mean, the experience at 2K was, that's where I learned about like the crazy hours that we'd work and all these other things. Yeah, I stuck with it for a little while. And then eventually I got, uh, I guess, I got sent to uh, Kush Games, which is still part of 2K. But they worked on like baseball and uh, hockey. And that's where I really got my first taste of working with a development team. Because prior to that, at 2K West, it, 2K West was a, uh, what's, uh, what you call like a testing farm. It was nothing uh, but QA. Multiple projects would come in. Uh, Bioshock was some of the more noteworthy ones. Uh, some of the, the later NBA uh, 2K games. And uh, I'm trying to think. There's a, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, Darkness was one of them, and Prey, and yeah, that was. I'd uh, say Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is more notable than any of those. <laughs> uh, but yeah, overall, I think the craziest thing that happened to me is the one year because you know how Cal LA is specifically with uh, those fires. Oh, I remember yeah. uh, driving. I remember they let everybody out of work early because there's a colossal fire, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that can't be that bad." So as I'm getting to my car. And I look in my rear mirror, the entire horizon's on fire. I'm just like, oh, that's what it lows out. So then I just drove home. And then the next week or so, it was just raining soot. I remember talking to, so I remember overhearing from somebody else, like, uh, I think Sony had a building out there that got like burnt up and everybody was out of work at that, from that office branch. But Ooh. yeah, it was pretty crazy. You know, I think that was probably the craziest uh, story I have for QA. I think the only other craziest thing that happened to me when I was while I was working in video games was uh, the there was an earthquake one time, and you can tell who who lived in who was from California who wasn't from California because all the people who weren't from California just sort of ran around panicking, and then everybody else who was from California just sort of casually sat at their desk, <laughs> not a care or worry in the world, and just continued yeah, like, oh, it's an earthquake, whatever. Deal. Yeah, they don't think. Yeah, exactly. So. What would you say the differences were doing QA in that sort of more isolated farm versus within the development team? Uh, so in, in like a testing farm, you, 
you don't feel like you have as much um, say in regards to how the games are created. You don't feel like you have much part of the creative process. So that, which kind of stinks, but then when you work at a, a dev team, you they will actually ask, come up to you, ask you certain questions and stuff like that. And you feel like you have a much larger part in the creative process. That's awesome. Yeah. And they will take suggestions. They will take ideas and they will fix things here and there. Uh, that was the major difference I noticed between like working at a, a, a testing farm and a dev based testing. And the, the type of work that you do with developers, it's much more different uh, in the sense that at a testing farm, they send you builds. And a lot of times the builds they send you are usually out of date by a certain time point. And a lot of the bugs that you write have already been found or fixed. Oh, um, demoralizing. So, yeah. So it's, yeah, it, is, it feels a little bit more demoralizing. And at a dev testing, you literally pull down a fresh build every morning. It's part of your routine. So you, you know, you pull down the latest build uh, and you test it. Also, something else that I remember at two K, the two K West was they didn't have, they didn't have enough computers for everybody. So, a lot of the times I actually had to handwrite my bugs, which I don't think it's a practice they do anymore. Now you know now they have enough. I'm pretty sure they have enough computers uh, for people to write bugs on. But prior to that, that wasn't always the case. Oh yeah, that 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 would be annoying, especially reading yep. other people's handwriting. Yep. <laughs> Not always easy. What do you what do you think are some like common mistakes that don't get seen or if when you play games casually do you ever see any things where you're like oh QA should have caught that I will admit uh I'm impressed with a lot of the QA that's done uh, these days it's typically for me it's like only larger issues that, that would that really catch my eyes like small things like collision or like uh, or some sort of weird like triangular issue or some weird pop in, you know, those type of things are, I understand why they weren't fixed at the time point. Uh, and I can only imagine the bugs that did get fixed before the, uh, uh, something did go out. Um, but uh, typically, like, if you've playing uh, Q, going from QA to just regular playing video games, it's kind of difficult to shut off that part of your mind because then a lot of the times you just sort of find yourself trying to break the game. Sure. Not, it, it took me many years to get out of that habit. So I don't go around looking for stuff like that as much anymore. But on occasion, I, I still will. You know, once in a while, I'll be, oh, there's, there's some funny, weird thing going on with uh, camera collision. I'm going to check this out. Oh, the frame rate's dropping here. I wonder why. You know, there's some sort of frame pacing going on. You know, all these, like, weird technical issues. I'm just like, I'll, I'll typically... Like I'll, I'll get a feel for it and just say, okay, I can see why they did this or why they didn't do that. And, or, and then once in a while you get one thing that's so bad, you're like, how did they miss this? Ooh. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What did they prioritize and what did they did? What didn't they? Yeah. Prioritization when it comes to a lot of the times when they just really need to get the product out without being punished by like, you know, corporate or, you know, one of the big three. They'll sure. they'll be like we'll push it out and then if it's not game breaking game breaking we'll patch it out post release. Yeah, but that wasn't really an option back when you were doing it, right? 
not for the Wii, so okay. to speak. That was much more difficult. So back then, mine was I during the PS3 360 era. That was much much easier. GameCube, Xbox, PS2, not so much. Oh yeah. I mean, the Wii could do it, but it was very difficult, and there was only a very small handful of games that that did the whole patch thing. Yeah, I remember for like it was like one of the Zelda games. There was a glitch that broke the game, and so they yeah, released was, a yep. separate app on the Twilight Wii Princess. Shop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was <laughs> a save was uh, save save progression bug. Yeah. And uh, Smash Brothers also had updates, which uh, was something that they started doing regularly with that game. They had one to patch the uh, online multiplayer because it was really bad. Yeah, I remember hearing that. So, are, is there anything you would say the QA process taught you when you went on to work in other parts of the industry? Uh, yeah, my it taught me to it taught me that people who are brought up from QA into higher positions usually pay a bit more attention to what QA says versus people who who don't. And it's really important to listen to QA sometimes because uh, a lot of times they do have uh, you know important things to report, and some of the stuff they say is important. I mean, it's, it's very mindful for the, the devs to listen as well. I mean, granted, not everything is going to be gold every single time, but you know, sure. there are they really they should just keep it open minded, open ear, essentially. Absolutely, it's important to, you know, take opinions from everywhere, not necessarily incorporate all of them, but listen to different perspectives. So I know then after that, you were with uh, Activision and Treyarch for a while, and you did the UI for Spider-Man. Yes, uh, Spider-Man Web of Shadows. And I did some light UI work for uh, Call of Duty World at War for the uh, the Wii as well. Oh, awesome. So what was that like? Uh, it was very fun. Actually, I really enjoyed my time doing that. It was the, uh, my art director was a guy named Dave Belzell. He was very friendly and very supportive of pretty much everything I, uh, I, I did. Uh, and he liked my ideas. And if it wasn't for him, I don't think I ever would have gotten a chance to uh, do anything uh, UI related. It's kind of funny because uh, how I got the job was I basically, uh, they, someone came down to QA and dev and was like, can anybody here do art? And I just raised my hand and they just picked me that way. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Did you have like a big art background before that, or were you just bullshitting? Yeah, shit? Actually, <laughs> no. Uh, well, so my my major is uh, I'm a 2D, 3D animation art and design major. Oh no, kidding! Oh. So, what do you think makes good game UI? Uh, sorry, say that again. What do you think makes good game UI, like stand apart from bad UI? Good game UI would be something that's a very, I'm, I'm a minimalist, so I enjoy UI that's very, uh, that's more simplistic and not really intrusive. Uh, I like UI that's very readable. And uh, back then during the, the, I guess the 360 WPS era, Apple was a really, was, well, Apple's still a big thing, but 
Apple's starting to become like really their UI design was really like starting to like uh, seep through other industries essentially. Right. And Nintendo had a very clean UI look and trying to match uh, that, that very clean look uh, for the games. Um, <clears throat> that's, I really, really try to like meld like minimalist with easy to read uh, UI essentially. Cause you want, when you have UI, you want to make sure a that's legible. People know what they people need to know what the icons mean. And, you know, you, you have to be able to see certain elements and stuff like that. It's uh, it's, it's a combination of usability and just generally looking like it's part of the game and less so intrusive to the game. Yeah. I imagine that's a difficult type rope to walk, to be as communicative as possible, but also as unintrusive as possible. Because you, the simplest things are the hardest things to uh, to actually convey. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I always so trying to find the fine line that's it's pretty difficult, and it's easier. I mean, it's easier said than done. Because if you're overly simplistic, then the UI doesn't you know it, it, then it cut it will if it doesn't relay that proper information to the user, you never reach your endpoint. So that's that's something you need to be wary of as well when designing. Mm-hmm. I can I can see how that would be. So I think before we move on, we're going to go into our musical break for the episode. And that is going to be another track from Tamas Katai. And that's called This is a Night Mission. That's a really cool one. So listen to that and we'll be back shortly.
Welcome back to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to This is a Night Mission by Tomas Katai, and we are back with Bayar, and I'm excited to chat more. So I know, you know, after you were in LA, you moved back to New York, and I, I saw you a bunch at the playcrafting uh, community in the city. Were you very involved with that? Uh, yeah, for a very short time. I actually, the one of the guys who was helping uh, to do the whole event, he was a friend of a friend. And oh, cool. uh, yeah, and he, he used to, uh, they used to do like, uh, not just play, oh, sorry. Playcrafting was one thing. And there's another game event, a New York game, uh, I forget what it's called, New York game something or another. And that was held by a different person. But there were two like game game jam groups that I would bounce back and forth between. The playcrafting one was fun because that one usually was located in the uh, the Microsoft building. And, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they moved it to Google's building for a little while, and then then they moved back. Uh, but after it was the really stadia fun. flopped. Yeah. Oh, I that believe it or not, I think still ongoing, and I have no idea how. But. Uh, <laughs> But knowing knowing uh, Google, they'll probably drop it at some point, very quietly in the background, without anybody knowing. Right. Their mo. Not to say that Google doesn't have plenty of successful products. It's just oh, yeah. usually, yeah, how they do things. Um, but yeah, so yeah, playcrafting. Uh, they they throw a, a a mini convention, or it's pretty big now. I think every every year you can actually, uh, I forget what it's called. The, the playcrafting event, but it's it's like three levels of like indie games, you know, and it's it's a really fun event. Uh, they usually have a uh, developer meetup thing on the, on the roof afterwards, and it's like a, a bar and like pizza and stuff like that, and it's pretty fun. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I don't think I got to go to that part. <laughs> there, there. Well, if you're ever back, it's usually I think in August, if I'm not mistaken. Great. Okay. Yeah. I'll have yeah to they usually, they can. usually have a little, yeah. And it's, it's fun. It's, it's definitely entertaining. For sure. Have you had a lot of opportunities to show your games at those kinds of things? So when I was working on our mobile game, which is now de- delisted off and oh, it might still be on Android and uh, iOS. It's definitely delisted off iOS. I, oh. that's my own fault. I forgot to pay the <laughs> developer. I didn't re- bother renewing it. My re- developer thing. Cause, uh, they, it was just basically a project that me and three other people built for fun, and we just wanted to see if we can work together as a coherent team, which we learned a lot, and we can. So, um, but it, yeah, it was it was a little mobile game called a uh, Fizzy Pop. I don't think it made a huge splash or anything like that. It was a physics based like a uh, shmup. It was. It took four years to make because we were trying to figure out a whole bunch of things at the time. And one of the hardest things about developing your own game is uh, trying to come up with the idea and just sticking with that idea without evolving uh, too much. We learned quite a bit. And, uh, you know, unlike unlike a lot of indie developers, we, we, used to, we used to have the saying, it was like, you can't call yourself an indie developer unless you've released at least one product. And mm-hmm. we, we released at least one product. So we're proud to say... You know, we're indie developers at this point. Great. It's, it's, it is it is difficult because a lot of indie projects will, you know, people think that game development is easy, but but it's not. And then oh, when yeah. they actually have to do the work, they realize, oh, man, this is I'm way over my head. 
And yeah, so we were, our game wasn't great. I'm not going to lie, but it was, it was like, so it was a very interesting learning process. And I think we learned quite a bit. So whatever we, we learned, we were just going to pour into our, our next, next game, essentially, because we want, we are obviously are not going to make the same mistakes. We'll probably make a whole new set of new mistakes, but it, it's really interesting because uh, aside from myself, the other people I worked with, none of them had any sort of game development in the back, their background with the exception of college that they built for a project. Mm-hmm. So what hats do you wear on the team then? Too many to speak of. <laughs> uh, basically, you know, I'm the artist, I'm the tester, you know, occasionally I, I do, I, I'm the designer and, you know, I have to manage all the teams. We had one guy doing audio. We had one guy doing uh, the programming. We had, I was doing everything. And then another person doing like relations and, and I had to help in on, on that. It was just, and another person dealing with finance. So, because I didn't want to deal with finance. Sure. So, so yeah, it was, I'm terrible at those things. So yeah, it was really, like I said, it was really interesting, but like, it didn't matter what I was doing. I had to help out no matter what, because some people are going to get overwhelmed regardless. So. I basically had to do a lot of things. Definitely. Um, Going to conventions was the other thing because we had to promote the game. So we went to a whole bunch of conventions. You know, I made friends with a lot of the convention people. I've been in the convention scene for a very long time. So yeah, uh, I just remember seeing you a lot at Oticon. Yeah. <laughs> I've been at that convention for over 20 years now. This wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I make a lot of convention, uh, connections through that, and I'm able to talk to people to get me into other conventions. I think one of the most fun promotional things that I did was uh, I, me, the uh, our financial officer and myself, we flew all the way out to Japan to attend a, a Tokyo Game Show in 2014. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Is that where that picture of you on your website with Kojima is from? Mm- oh, no, 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 no. That, that that was that's from Treyarch. Uh, that was uh, he was. I forgot why he was there, but he was there. Uh, you know, touring the offices. I think at that point he was looking for an American company to work with, from my understanding. And uh, oh. I I have embarrassingly enough, I have this little Metal Gear shrine in my office. And like, he walked past it, looked at it, and he looked at me and kind of nodded at me, <laughs> like he, he was happy. Of, I had that, and then like, yeah, and then I was like, I looked over and I was, oh, it's Hideo Kojima nodding at me, you know, and I didn't, didn't register. And then he walked <laughs> past my door, and then I was like, oh man, it's Hideo Kojima. So me and my other um, teammate, who's we both jumped up, and we tried to run after to get an autograph and picture, <laughs> and that's uh, that's how that came to. And we couldn't find him eventually. Someone's like, oh, he's out in the parking lot. So we ran to the parking lot. I. I, I wanted to give him something, but I didn't have anything. So I drew that. I poorly drew a picture of Solid Snake on a post-it and gave it to him. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, you're my hero. You're one of the reasons why I'm, you know, in gaming. And he was very nice and he just sort of nodded his head and just kind of like, he, they left for the airport. And that was embarrassing. But yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, anyway, going back to the convention stuff, I can imagine that your work uh, promoting the Naruto game was helpful and sort of communicating a game and showcasing it. it you know, it's funny. No matter no, no matter how many times I have to promote anything, for me, it's never easy. <laughs> uh, one of the hardest thing is pretending to 
pretending to be not afraid of approaching random people to talk to them about a project. <laughs> it's the amount of the amount of sheer will I have to muster up to be like, oh hey, check this product out. I hope you enjoy it. And, you know, because because you know t- I consider myself uh, fairly. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I'm an introvert, but you know, it's just like dealing with people is. Uh, you just kind of have to force it sometimes, and it's like I don't want to come off as like I'm forcing this too much because then people smell that I'm desperate, and I don't want that either. <laughs> uh, so you got to find a fine line between like desperation and like legitimate, like like promoting promoting. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm sure it's tough. What, but what would you say as far as like communicating the idea of a game when you're showing it to someone? How do you do that? No matter. So that's the funny thing. So it's like, it doesn't matter how many times they do this either. It's like, uh, I want the game to speak for itself. So most of the time what I'll do, I'll let people play and just explain the basics because my, my engagement basically is like, if this person can catch on, uh, what's going on in the game and can figure it out easily, uh, then that I've succeeded as a designer. If you can't figure out how to play the game based on the first like 20 seconds of gameplay that you're doing, then I've failed as a designer because mm. I want to make sure I'm able to, it's like designing good UI. You want to be able to convey something very quickly and, and the feeling uh, for that player. Like any good art shouldn't be, you know? Right. Absolutely it's important that it speaks for itself so because the more the more i have to explain uh, you know then the more i realize oh man i should have done this better or done that better et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. i'd rather have people let me know what i could have done better because the feedback to me is more important and then thus making the experience more enjoyable for everyone what's one piece of like extremely useful feedback you've gotten on any project uh, that's actually a really good question. I'm trying to think now because it's like I think it's uh, not nothing that I've ever gotten per se. I think uh, the only feedback that I think I ever gotten that was interesting to me, at least, is it's not so much. Uh, I guess it would be somewhat feedback. Uh, man, I can't even remember anymore. It's been so long. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I ever gotten like any like good feedback besides the fact that like, oh, your game isn't working at the moment. Uh, so like, and I was like, why do you think that? And it's because I think it crashed. I was like, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah. but, That's uh, the reason. Yeah. Uh, but I jokingly, jokingly, I think the best part, the best uh, advice I got, I guess, is anyone that says it's a bug, tell them it's a feature. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking. Yeah, good, good excuse. So, uh, as far as like what you can talk about, what's next for you and your team? Sorry, what was that again? As far as what you can talk about, what's next for you and your team? Uh, so, what's Next, we're working on something currently. We have no 
Uh, we have nothing to talk about yet, but it's definitely a step up from our last project. And this one we were aiming for fun. Not that our last game wasn't fun, but this time we're going for something more traditional. Sure. Yeah. And what would you say is something about your like personal process, your development process that nobody knows? Uh, try not to be too much of a perfectionist. I know it's very easy to get caught up in all the little details and everything. Uh, but you know, sometimes you just need to get stuff done and it's better to, or, uh, it's better to get something out than nothing essentially. And the other thing I have advice wise would be learn your limitations. Know, know what your limitations are, learn how to work around them. And it would make, and that will make you a better designer. And a great example of that is take a look at anything from the NES era, the last year of that console's life. And then you realize by that point, all the people who were working on it knew the system inside and out. And so they knew the limitations, they knew how to work around limitations. And because of that, some of those later games turned out to look closer to their earlier 16 bit counterparts. Oh, yeah, totally. There's definitely some of those later games are gorgeous. Because at, at that point, they, they knew everything. So they knew how to work around the limitations to get more. So that's the same thing. It's like, don't worry too much about like what you know, what you don't know. Just take what you do know and just improve upon that. And you'll eventually break through that limitation. Hmm. Awesome. Good. Good words of wisdom. So what are your hopes for the industry for like the coming year? Uh, um, my hopes for this industry? Uh, quite a bit. There's a lot of new blood being injected into it. You know, a lot of stuff that happened back when I was in it, it seems like people are taking notice and they're trying to improve things, make mm -hmm. things better. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of great ideas being uh, pushed around and I feel like the whole medium is being pushed forward. Yeah, it's been great to see. So that was all the questions I had prepared. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, not really. All I can say is anybody else who's thinking about, uh, you know, working in the industry or just building a video game. Uh, the only thing I have to say is just go for it. Yeah, you brought it up earlier, but game jams are such a great way to get into it. Absolutely. Yeah, you just, you have to push something out, hell or high water. Yep. And then use that learning experience to make your next game even better. Right. And so, of course, this is the Pixel Pizza podcast. I have to end off with our usual question, which is, where is your favorite pizza place? Ooh, my favorite pizza place? Uh, I live in New York, so it's kind of hard. There's, yeah, there's that's a, stacked. Yeah, there's a lots and lots of great places. There's this little brick oven pizza place near me that I can't remember the name of it, uh, sadly. I think it's literally just called Pizza House, if I'm not mistaken, in the Bronx. Hmm. It's literally just called Pizza House in the What's your usual order? I usually get a uh, thick crust uh, pepperoni. 
Ooh, that sounds good. All right, so that's all we've got. By our, where can people keep track of you and your studio? Uh, well, we, our website is uh, skullfiregames.com uh, and our Twitter is uh, skullfiregames actually as well. <laughs> awesome, easy to remember. All right, so thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And so we will see you next time, audience. We're leaving off with another track from Tomas Katai. And this one is called Personal Galaxy.
Hi, this is Jared. Thanks for sticking around till the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed that song. So before we get going and I say see you next episode, first of all, thank you again gratefully for sticking around this long till the very end of the episode. And since you did, I'd love to ask you something. I'd love to ask you, audience members, if you could send me some constructive criticism, thoughts, feelings, however your vibe into these episodes. I'd love to get a sense of what the audience thinks, where I can improve, how I can make the show a little bit more exciting, and keep moving forward, moving on, growing. So if you've got anything you'd like to share that's respectful, please send it on over to pixelpizza at yahoo.com. That's pixelpizza, the show name, at yahoo.com. So hope you do that. I might give you a little gift if you do, a little special prize for people who listen this long, since I'm not going to post about this anywhere, just for you listeners to do this. Thanks and see you next week. Bye-bye.